0: Hello and welcome to the Powerhouse Politics Podcast. I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein.
1: And I'm ABC News' Deputy Political Director Shoshana Walsh. And our White
0: House correspondent John Carl off on vacation as he tends to do when things get busy, <laughs> as you know, Shush. But uh, we got a lot to get to because we have seen the Trump cabinet now come into almost complete view. They're almost done. Well, you, we, we talked a little about how things are slow to develop. Now they're almost done yeah. as we approach the holidays. Very busy few weeks. Very, very busy time. And you start to see some themes emerge lots of generals... Lots of billionaires, uh, lots of friends of, uh, of Trump, some, some friends not part of this as well. You start to see some policy implications. And one very big question that's come into focus, which has to do with Russia. It's not like Russia wasn't part of the conversation throughout the campaign. We were talking about apparent attempts for them to intervene in the election. But a couple of things, some news developments about uh, potential involvement by Vladimir Putin himself, about potential actions that, uh, that suggest motivation to try to influence the election, and the Choice of Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, perhaps the private citizen with the closest relationship with Vladimir Putin, he will be Donald Trump's choice for Secretary of State. So, shush! This this issue of Russia all of a sudden seems huge.
1: Yeah, and it almost seems like it should have been a bigger issue during the campaign. Of course, we covered those the hacking so closely. the All 17 intelligence agencies agreed that Russia was behind it. But the story has become even clearer now. As you noted, uh, ABC News, also NBC News, both reported that actually Vladimir Putin at the helm of this hack, potentially. So uh, some really fascinating updates. Indeed. And, and and I think
0: one thing that's been a bit confounding in, in this is that you have all the intelligence agencies saying, you have the current White House saying that the Russians had some involvement here, but you have the the Trump operation continuing to say, no, no, we don't buy it. And I think one question that's permeating all the discussions now, Shush, do they actually believe that? Do they believe that the Russians were innocent as all of this? Is that how they're going to go into approaching this? Will they cooperate with investigations as they're launched in the new Congress?
1: Right. And Donald Trump has consistently said that he does not believe that the Russians behind it, that he doesn't believe the intelligence. And I guess really the question out of that is why? Why doesn't he believe the intelligence? When you go to the Trump team, they turn it into a political question that just by asking the question, it means that you're questioning uh, the legitimacy of Donald Trump's campaign, which that is not the question. The question is, uh, why the president-elect doesn't trust the intelligence.
0: And it will make for some interesting confirmation hearings, not just with Rex Definitely. Tillerson, but primarily with Tillerson, because he'll be asked these questions as Secretary of State. How is he going to approach his relationship with Russia? Uh, we're going to talk to a key senator as part of this in a few minutes, Joe Manchin from West Virginia, who has been on the inside at Trump Tower, has talked directly to the president-elect. We'll talk about that experience and also some of the legislative issues. One other thing, Shush, is you know here on the podcast last week, we told you this would be the big week where we're going to hear Donald Trump's plans to divest himself from his businesses, And the reason we said that so confidently is that Donald Trump told us that he was going to have a press conference to talk about it all. It was going to happen today on Thursday. And he did cancel the press conference. The press conference isn't happening. And we don't know still what they're going to do with the business relationship. We do know, Shush, that there are even more apparent conflicts of interest right. that have emerged. Uh, we have some conflicting information about what he'll need to do with that hotel that's just a half a mile from the White House there on Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington. We see Physically, his, his sons, who we believe will be in, involved in the business interests, in meetings with, with appoint, possible appointees with the cabinet, part of conversations with foreign leaders. This The Trump family affair is so tied up, Shush, and, and we haven't gotten any answers yet from the Trump operation of what it looks like.
1: Right. Actually, we're getting conflicting answers. Uh, we saw just today Donald Trump tweet that it's actually not that complex, uh, his uh, conflicts of interest, his, his finances. But well, that ke- settles it, right? Right. <laughs> but using that same word, complex, Kellyanne Conway, uh, obviously close top advisor to Donald Trump, said that that's why they were ha- they had to postpone the press conference because these issues were complex. So complex or not, uh, they're not having that press conference.
0: Uh, that's right. And and to me, this plus Tillerson, they, they they raise broadly different, but also roughly similar things, which is that Donald Trump is operating under a set of rules that have not uh, been close to those that have been operated under the past. So the question becomes, who stands up to him? Who, who decides to make this a big issue? Do you see a member of the United States Senate standing up against the Tillerson nomination? Do you see Republicans breaking ranks and saying, you know what, it's not okay to have these close family ties? Now, again, we give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of Tillerson, he'll have his chance at the hearings, he'll have a chance to talk about his his business interests, but he is going to be challenging members of his own party to challenge him early on, the way this is shaping up in a couple areas.
1: Right, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're going to hear from Sarah Manchin later in the program, but he's come out publicly saying that he is likely to support uh, Rex Tillerson. At least uh, he doesn't have problems with his relationship with Russia, which is an issue that we've heard could come up with senators like Senator Marco Rubio, Senator Graham, and Senator McCain.
0: And that that brings us to one other issue that that I want to discuss, which is energy policy. And and in one area that we're seeing, a very firm sense of the direction of this administration uh, is in energy and the environment. Now, the choice of of Energy Secretary, um, I think it's clear uh, that uh, that we've never had a, a former contestant of Dancing with the Stars as Energy <laughs> Secretary. Uh, of course, there's also the first Rick Perry is now going to head the agency that he wanted to eliminate and could and not forgot. name. Right. So, but even beyond that, you have this very, a very, a very clear sense of where he, where his view is on energy versus the environment. Of course, the uh, the, the pick for the EPA, Scott Pruitt, who's made his name mostly by suing the EPA. Uh, we're, we, I think it's clear we're talking about a president that is going to tip the balance drastically in the other direction when it comes to energy and the environment, global warming. We can see the, the, the concern amongst, among scientists in, the, in mm-hmm. the Obama administration about a possible witch hunt. There's a real sense that things are going to tip in a major policy direction.
1: But I think there's still that question out there about how his daughter Ivanka, obviously a huge influence on her father and possibly the administration too, that how she might impact this issue. Um, There are some signs that she is more progressive on this issue than her father and the other people in the administration. Also, we know that thanks to Ivanka, her father met with people like Al Gore, like Leonardo DiCaprio. So I think watching her influence on her father on this issue, and of course, others is going to be quite Interesting. Yeah,
0: maybe that's a head fake, maybe not. But one right. other thing that we've seen in particularly in this effort to uh, by the the incoming administration to identify some people who were involved in global warming politics, we saw pushback from the EPA, they said they were not going to identify uh, government employees, bureaucrats who were involved in this, they felt like it was more likely to be a witch hunt. Uh, this has now uh, soured the relationship. Between the outgoing and incoming administrations, as you know, Shush, there's been a, a lot of kind words between President Obama and President-elect Trump. Uh, we know they talk on the phone pretty regularly. Uh, we've heard from the the podium at the at the White House almost every day, mostly conciliatory words. Things have changed mm-hmm. though in the last couple of
1: days, and really, it's about this issue of Russia and uh, and hacking, and we've really seen what was a uh, a relationship that seemed to be promoting this peaceful transition of power really um, is degrading. And we're seeing Josh Ernest um, being very clear from the podium that he believes that Donald Trump knew about the hacking. He believes that Russia is behind the hacking. And we saw Kellyanne Conway today um, hit back against Josh Ernest. So uh, we're not seeing anything between Donald Trump and Barack Obama yet, but definitely uh, the first kind of icy, signs of an icy relationship between them.
0: Well, the the tweets are ready to go. I I can only (laughs) only imagine how how tempted President-elect Trump must be to to say something nasty about President Obama. That will be the the point of no return in that relationship if they start to exchange personal pleasantries. We're also likely to hear from President Obama before he heads to Hawaii for his his annual vacation. Things beginning to slow down in Washington, but there's a flurry until then. Okay, we're going to take a quick break right here, and we will be right back. To talk with Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Hey, it's Rick here. We have another new podcast from ABC News to tell you about. It is Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. She talks to famous guests like Giada De Laurentiis, Tony Robbins, Delilah, and more about how they've managed to overcome tough times in their lives. Again, that's Robin Roberts' Everybody's Got Something. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our show. Joining us now on Powerhouse Politics, Senator Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia, and one of the men that we've seen cycling through Trump Tower these last couple of weeks, although we now know that he will be remain, remaining in the United States Senate. So, Senator, welcome to the program.
2: Hey, Rick it's John, and Shoshana, Thanks for having me.
0: Our pleasure. Thanks for doing it. So I want to start, we have a bunch to talk about, a whole bunch of issues to get to, but sure I want to start with the scene sure. that we've seen, because we've only seen the first half, so to speak, right? We see people walking through Trump Tower what take us uh-huh. from the moment you get on that elevator? What happens next? What's that? What's the rest of that experience like with the president elect? Uh,
2: well, it starts out basically a phone call, you know. And uh, anybody who has uh, had any interaction with President Elect Trump knows that he'll usually call you himself. He don't have a secretary call and say, "Hold for Mister Trump" or "Hold for President Elect." He'll he'll be on the phone and say, "Hey, Joe, this is Donald." <laughs> and wow, and that's, that's it how it goes. starts. Okay. Then that's what? how it starts that's how it all started and then we're going to get together and talk about good things we can do how we can work together he says i know you're a bipartisan person i know you're a, a centrist and you vote uh, not party lines but what's best for your state and your country i said absolutely sir look forward to working with you and hopefully we make it, make america a heck of a lot better but so that's how it started then he said we're gonna talk some more and then i heard about considering me for other positions and this and that and then we try to set up our appointment and i because I was in the middle of the last week of the legislative session. We had to wait. Wednesday, I was supposed to go and couldn't, and they were so kind. And then Friday, I'm in the midst of the battle fighting for the Miners Protection Act to get their health care benefits. They called very kindly and said, hey, well, let's just do it Monday until you get rid of this and get this behind you. So we did that. They meet you. They, meet you. they tell you, there'll be so- and so-and-so that'll meet you in the lobby. You go into the lobby, and then, of course, you have, as you see, all the cameras and paparazzi. Right. And then you get on the elevator, and up you go. And when I got up there, I went in right to their main office, and uh, Mr. Bannon was waiting, Steve Bannon was waiting there, and he and I had a nice conversation for a few minutes and everything, and they said, okay, uh, President-elect Trump, uh, ho- uh, happy to see you now. So I walked back into his office, and there was Ivanka was standing there talking to her dad, a very beautiful young lady, and she was talking to her dad. He was sitting at his desk, and then you had Jared was there, her husband, his son, son-in-law, Jerry Kushner, and uh, Reince was there, previous mm-hmm. and then Steve and I walked in, and we sat down, and, and, and Ivanka, she uh, had to get in dismissed herself, so the rest of us just sat there, and we had a very good conversation, it started out, how's West Virginia doing, and I told him how hard we've been hit, uh, economically, it was a very difficult situation, we were working through, and trying to get our feet back under, we talked about the coal and coal miners, and what they've gone through, and Miners Protection Act, I needed their help on that, and just very good things. And then we went into energy and the part that energy plays in the country and and, uh, how we could uh, work together
0: pretty remarkable scene. I'm going to talk about the the coal, the, the, the coal miner health bill in, in a second, but I want to start with, with uh, the relationship with Russia and the, the nomination of Rex Tillerson. I saw you quoted as saying that you weren't troubled, nothing wrong with having a close relationship with Vladimir Putin. What is your sense, though, of Rex Tillerson? Are you inclined to support his nomination, and is there anything about his relationship with Russia that does give you pause, given the, the direction it might set for foreign policy?
2: Well, let me, from a disclaimer, let me just tell you, I know Rex because I've worked with Rex on the Boy Scout, uh, uh, Bechtel, uh, Boy Scout, uh, Jamboree Camp here in West Virginia. This is the new home that they spent. And there's been investments of over half a billion dollars for the most unbelievable, beautiful Boy Scout complete complex in the whole world, uh, right here in West Virginia. And Rex has been a major part of that. And Rex, I've seen Rex as far as the compassion he has for leadership, teaching young people responsibilities and character and uh, worked with him on the Boy Scout thing, and just been a wonderful time doing that. Uh, I know he's a tough, tough business person. He's been very successful, but he's worked extremely hard, and he knows it as well as anybody. Uh, And they asked me the question. uh, We were hearing all the rumors about Rex having a relationship, or he he knows Putin. Does that bother you? I said, absolutely not. I said, that doesn't bother me on who he knows as long as we can work for what's best for our country. So uh, I had gone to a um, conference. The Aspen Institute put a conference on in Germany. And I had gone there, and it was about Russian, uh, you know, our Russian relationships. And after about two or three days, you're talking to some of the different people from Russia there, and they're very open and candidly looking for a pathway forward also. And I asked the one, I says, well, tell me about the Cold War. He said, the Cold War is colder today than it was when we had a declared Cold War against each other. So that tells me no one's talking. No one's trying to build relationships to find that there's a a middle ground, if you will. So when I heard about Rex might know the person, that doesn't bother me whatsoever. But what would bother me, and what I think that Rex will have to go before the committee uh, and as they go through the vetting process for his confirmation, uh, his financial holdings. Uh, If the performance of ExxonMobil uh, and his uh, his uh, compensation is tied to that uh, two, three, four, five years down the road, even after he leaves and whatever he does, become Secretary of State or anything, uh, that, that would give you pause to say, okay, wait a minute. If we're still concerned about how well ExxonMobil is doing and it might affect someone's financial interest, that'll be a, a tremendous concern for everybody. Uh, but if he's totally divested of that, and just because he knows and has a relationship and can call and see if there's a pathway forward, and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I don't doubt Rex Tillerson's loyalty and love of our country and devotion and caring about our country, but sometimes people say, well, follow the money. So if the money doesn't lead us to a trail to where there might be a conflict and Rex would have to make a decision for my family's well-being financially uh, versus uh, his duties as secretary of state could that be an interference or it could not be a conflict so it so- sounds, sounds like you'd be prepared
0: questions. to support him if you if you're if you're satisfied on that point uh, knowing that there's a that there's a yeah, that there's a division the and
2: the first saying just because he's had dealings or relationships or knows the guy and that thinks he's going to be disloyal to america that's wrong we're we're, we're better americans than that i think
1: just to to shift back to the minors. You just mentioned the Minors Protection Act and we know that you've been fighting hard to get this permanent fix for health care for minors. The government almost right. shut down over it. Is Donald Trump going to join you in this fight? Do you have a commitment from him?
2: Well, we've talked to it. He's understanding it. And I'm going to talk to him more and walk him through it and hopefully he can be involved and if he gets involved I think it makes a tremendous, tremendous difference in us being successful. But I want him to be comfortable where we're coming from. Here's what happened. We've been asking for a permanent fix for health care and pensions. It's been, per, it's been uh, promised since 1946. Not only promised, but the federal government has an agreement, signed a coup agreement. Uh, because back then, uh, this country basically has been built on the uh, fossil fuel energy that we had right here in America, domestic. It wasn't built on foreign oil or foreign fuel, and we won two wars with it, built the greatest industrial might. And uh, Harry Truman knew that if they went on strike in 1946, that it would really cripple the economy. So they sat down and worked out. And all the miners asked for was health care for their families as they retired and a little bit of a pension. And it's very meager. So this has been going on for quite some time. And the government's making it's not federal dollars. It's not your tax dollars, Tashauna, that we're talking about. This was money that was supposed to be set aside for every ton of coal that was mined. And what happens, lo and behold, in the 80s, with a lot of the bankruptcy laws changing, then they basically have companies declaring bankruptcy, even though they were taking it out of their pay, even though they were basically negotiating lower wages so they would keep their health care benefits. The money wasn't there. And the bankruptcy courts let corporations walk away. So, I mean, it just compounded. And then the, the crash of 2007 just was horrible. And that was done by Wall Street. Right. We so, didn't hesitate a minute to bail out Wall Street. We didn't hesitate a minute to bail out the big auto industry. We're not even asking for a bailout for the miners that have built the country. We're asking we have a pay for. Let us use the excess money that the abandoned mine land fund has in it. So and you're, that will so, that you're, will solidify and pay for it.
1: So you're, you're hopeful that you'll have a partner in the president elect in this fight.
2: I sure do. I sure am. And I sure do. So just, and we've spoken about it and I'm going to be speaking more to them about it.
1: Just to shift gears a little bit from from this to politics sure. to talk about the future of the Democratic Party for a little bit. Uh, obviously, we're in the middle now of uh, their suffering coming down from a very big loss Your party. Uh, there's going to be a, a campaign for a DNC chair. Essentially, the party lost a lot of Democrats that are like you. What do you think uh, the party can do going forward? What's your advice? And, you know,
2: in West Virginia, we definitely understand the definition of insanity. Okay, and it's not doing the same thing over and over, thinking you'll get a different outcome. Uh, The bottom line is I grew up in a little community called Farmington, West Virginia, maybe three, four hundred people. We had eight coal mines around us. and These are all hardworking people. And I got to be honest with you. I, I don't remember anybody that I knew that ever said they were Republican my whole childhood. Wow. So if I grew up with all Democrats, I grew up with people that got up and went to work every day. They were my little league coach. They were my Boy Scout leader. They were people that donated and contributed and helped people. They were people that would take care of people, who couldn't take care of themselves. They expected to live within their own own means. And uh, and they expect you to get off of your butt and do something, but always be compassionate to help those who've hit hard times or that might not be able. That's what I've always that's that's my that's my identity. Now so, I've been branded. I'm branded as a, a fiscally conservative Democrat that's socially compassionate. Okay, I don't know where that fits. So I'm right dead in the middle, I believe, where I think America is. Mm-hmm. And the Democratic Party nationally. Has gone and tried to be so politically correct, so overreaching, to where we used to be the party of the working man and woman, and in West Virginia, the working man and woman believes the Democratic Party out of Washington is preventing them from working.
0: So, who do you Isn't want the next chair? Who do you want the next chair of the DNC to to, to be? And does that matter as part of the conversation? I would conversation?
2: like to find some chair. I would like to find a chair that comes from rural working America.
0: So not fair to say I mean, it's not course. a candidate in the race so far? I mean, the, the, the two I major ones we know that about, Tom Perez and Keith Ellison.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't know Keith that well. I know Tom. These are two fine individuals. But do they come from the areas of the country? Do they come from where uh, people aren't relating to the party, can't relate to us? And Tim Ryan was running for a change. Nancy Pelosi, I know Nancy very well, beautiful person. But Tim was running for change. People have voted for change. We just can't be doing the same old, same old and thinking that change is going to come. So let
0: me ask one, one question on, on energy policy, because there's been a lot done, written mm-hmm. in the last couple of days sure. about the cabinet appointments. And, and obviously you were in the running for, a, for for one of those posts. But we're seeing a cabinet come into view that I think it's fair to say is going to be a lot closer toward your views and a pro-energy and a pro-U.S. energy policy. Sure. How does, in your mind, the debate about global warming fit into this? Is there room for that discussion inside your Democratic Party oh. and more broadly alongside the conversation about the, the need for more U.S. sources of energy?
2: Well, let me just tell you that Sheldon Whitehouse and I, you couldn't have more of the yin and the yang in one party <laughs> than me and Sheldon. Fair to say. And we, and we become very good friends. Really like each other and respect each other. I'm talking one day And I'm saying, I'm not a denier. I think that 7 billion people on this beautiful planet Earth of ours has made an impact. And I think that we have the intelligence and the responsibility to make it better. And we can do that through technology. And then I have, and then Sheldon heard me say that. He said, Hey, Joe, my goodness. I I said, Sheldon, fine. I said, But I think you're the denier, Sheldon. He looked at me and said, Why do you think that? I said, Because I believe that you think that you can run this country uh, with no fossil. He said, I don't believe that. I said, well, if you're not a denier and I'm not a denier, then why don't we work together and find a pathway forward? So we started talking and working because there's going to be fossil use. There's going to be more fossil in the world next year than ever in the history of the world. If the United States of America quit burning every lump of coal, there'll be more coal consumed in the world than ever before. But yet we're not doing anything using the strength of our trading to make sure that, give you a perfect example, in China, in Beijing, China, it's not CO2 that's killing people. It's SO2, which is particulates that you see, the smog. the the That's the particulates. In, In the United States of America in the last two decades, we have cleaned up the environment more than any time in the history of the world. Mankind. So we're doing everything possible, but unfortunately, the Obama administration basically did everything they could to run away from fossil Well, if you're depending 70 to 75% of the energy this country consumes every minute of every day, don't you think you better take care of your base load that provides you the dependable, reliable, and affordable, and then use certain amounts of your money? Two, basically, for R&D, research and development, for new technologies, uh, for wind and solar and hydro and biomass and all of the renewables. I'm great with all of that. But that's not, if someone says, we're going to do it all on renewables. Well, I would tell you right now, on its best day, 20%, let's say to 20%, 20% of, uh, let's say that's five hours a day. Tell me which five hours you want your heat or your air conditioning to work. What five hours do you want your refrigerator to keep your food from being perishable? Tell me the five hours you want energy. Now, that's the reality. That's just being very realistic. So I've tried to talk to it. I said, I believe you can have a good, clean environment in a balanced and balanced with the economy. But the Democrat, my Democrat party in Washington, which I am not, a Washington Democrat, I think you know that. Right. That the Democratic Washington Party believes that. Oh no, we're going to shut it down completely. Well, I'm sorry, that is not reality. That's not the way the world works. It's not the way this country is going to work. And
0: fair to say, you and think then think that they did. You'll see. You'll see. In the, the Trump administration to, something a lot closer to what you're talking about.
2: I think. I think. I really think that President-elect Trump will be closer to trying to find a balance. Now he'll have people out there that really, truly believe that are deniers. Right. So caution to the wind. Forget about that's not going to fly. They are so far out of tune and they will find the pushback if they basically said we're not trying to find a balance. We could care. Just, I mean, pedal to the metal and let her rip.
1: You know, Senator, I think from the outside, a lot of people are kind of trying to find out where the president elect stands on some of these issues. You talked to him about energy. Um, he, He he he's. He nominated Scott Pruitt for the EPA, but he's had these high-profile meetings with Al Gore, with Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, obviously climate change activists. So what in your conversations, where do you think he stands on some of these issues?
2: Well, uh, I, I, I truly, uh, in my heart of hearts, in my meeting with him and I've spoken with him, I've spoke with President-elect Trump more since he's been elected than I did in eight years to Barack Obama. Hard to believe, is it? It really is.
1: Fascinating.
0: Really is. All right, Senator Joe Manchin, so, Democrat tell, from West tell Virginia. You everything. Senator Manchin, we really appreciate you being here with the view from inside Trump Tower, the view from the United States Senate. <laughs> You're going to be one to watch. We'll keep an eye out for your DNC choice, among uh, many other things. Thanks thanks so much. Okay. Thank you.
2: Hey, thank you all. Good to be with you.
0: Well, so Senator of Mansion is going to be one to watch. That's striking to to think about how, that. That he already he he feels like he's had more FaceTime with with President Elect Trump than he did with President Obama. Someone from an opposite party, and yeah, it seems like he's going to have a lot more, a, a whole bunch of issues where he sees eye to eye with President Trump. And, and we talk about this fifty two forty eight math in the Senate. It might not be that. And and given the the strength of the of the Trump win uh, of of five weeks ago, he could find some allies in the Democratic
1: Party. And to think that this. Strategy could be broader than just Senator Manchin, that he's talking to uh, other Democrats. We know that he's met with Senator Heitkamp, that actually he could be talking across the aisle is not something that we really think of when we think of Donald Trump and his campaign. We think of that more aggressive side of him. But if he is uh, building bridges with some of these more moderate Democrats. That's really interesting.
2: It is.
0: And this is the, you, uh, another fault line of the Democratic Party that doesn't get mentioned as much as the Bernie versus Hillary divide, right, In the progressives right. versus the more mainstream. I mean, this is a, a conservative Democrat by all rights. And someone, as, as Senator Manchin said, he's not really a Democrat by national standards, not a Washington Democrat. But we're seeing splits in this country that are different than the traditional splits. And you are seeing... Um, along this energy issue, among others, cultural issues, among others, uh, the, the, an appeal to the Trump message, and of course, if you're Senator the mansion in West Virginia, and, and Trump just blew away everyone in the state, it was never really on the map. Maybe you need to cozy up a little bit to this new Republican president, but uh, it does to me suggest some different kinds of battle lines in the new in new administration.
1: Right, and also some harsh words for his own party. It was really striking to me how he talked about his childhood, how he didn't know any Republicans. Well, I bet now in West Virginia, it's hard to. That, yeah. I bet he doesn't really know that many Democrats.
0: Oh, that has that has to be the case. And, but people that that have still are still a democrat uh, advantage by party registration that has to do with this union issue so this fight over the minors that he mentioned it may seem like an obscure issue, although there are millions of minors who have their 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 health uh, health care uh, at stake i think it 's actually the number's smaller in the in the immediacy but beyond that, I think it has symbolic value because if you can find a willing partner. For Senator Manchin in the, in the Trump administration, that starts to garner some goodwill. If he's able to get that permanent fix, take care of these these miners that uh, that have held out year to year on pension and health care, uh, that's gonna that's gonna buy Trump some some serious goodwill.
1: And talking politically, we know that Senator Manchin's up for reelection in 2018. 2018, It could be a very difficult year for Democrats.
0: That's right, and they're going to have to protect the talk about the strange bedfellows that will right. that we'll see in this uh, new administration. That'll be a big piece of it. All right. That's going to do it for today's edition of Powerhouse Politics. Please take a moment to rate the show. Write us a review for the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others discover the show. And if you're if you're particular about this show, you can mention how much you like not hearing John Carl. No, don't really do that. i am <laughs> just like to say that. You can find me uh, on Twitter, at Rick Klein. You can find Shoshana, at Shush Walsh. And don't forget, you can find all of our ABC News podcasts by going to abcnewspodcast.com. Today's show, produced by the great Robin Gratis and Avery Miller, David Rind, and Ali Rogan, to helped line up that interview that you just heard with Senator Manchin. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next time.